This is Doing Good Through Food. I'm Alex Coffin, and my guest on the show today is Talia Chain. Talia is the manager of Sadef Farm in Orpington, which is only 35 miles from central London, although it feels a lot further away and in a, in a very sort of beautiful part of the countryside. Um, it's a farm rooted in Jewish traditions, uh, Jewish values, and it aims to cultivate community as well as food. The farm's got a strong sense of mission and key aspects include helping disconnected Jews to re-engage with their Jewish traditions through farming, working with other communities and faiths on the common goal of preserving the environment, strengthening the European Jewish community's commitment to environmental justice, and also inspiring positive social action through teaching Jewish values in the context of the land. Um, and all those all those aims, environmental community aims, are, are fascinating and and i think inspiring um and it sort of it made me think that you know we've talked about all those things in in general terms but not in the context of somebody's somebody's faith with which obviously underpins a lot of what happens here so i'm really very keen really interested to understand what that means what that means for talia what that means for the farm and um sort of say talia welcome to doing good through food thank you so this place Skeets Hill House in Orpington. Why is Sadeh the farm here? Why is it at this this location? So Skeet Hill House has been in the Jewish community since the 40s um, and it was set up um, to give like respite and holidays really to um, low-income Jewish families who lived in the East End, often um, worked in factories or sweatshops and this was like a philanthropic venture really to give them a bit of outside life and they really most of them had just never been to the countryside didn't know anything about the countryside proper city people mm. and it's been in the Jewish community since then so it's been um, youth groups used to come here and still come here synagogue groups schools Jewish and mm. we have some non-Jewish groups come here but um, it's it's quite well known in the Jewish community. My grandpa actually used to um, be part of the leaders of like kids camps. Okay. Those East End boys kids camps actually. And my, mm. even my mum came when she was nine. And I ended up coming here because me and one of my friends ran a retreat focused on community. We called it Community of Opportunity. When I actually came here, I thought, this is perfect. It's close to London, which is important for mm. a lot of the Jewish community that live in London. There aren't any other Jewish kind of residential houses anymore. There used to be a bunch, right. um, but they all got sold off over the years. It, it just became, I guess, right. less necessary or... Yeah, and, and they're an expense, I would imagine. It expense, kind of, yeah. exactly. And like, what what is their use? It's not like... And we need to provide those same kind of holidays anymore. And yeah. But this space, you know, it has all that history. It has, like, a link to my family that I didn't even know. And it's close to London. And to be honest, I also needed that because my husband works in London. So mm. I just knew it was perfect, honestly. I just came here and I was like, this is exactly where it needed to be. Because I've been thinking about setting up my own Jewish farm since I went to one in 2014. Mm. So you approached them. You, you approached the... Is it a trust or a, something like that? Yeah, there's uh, um, the owners of the house of the Jewish Youth Fund. Right. And at, at the time, it, the trust running it was called the Skeet Management Trust. It's a bit complicated. But I approached them and I said, what you need is an educational farm where I can teach food growing and mm. nature stuff and wildlife things and all that kind of stuff to the children groups that come. 
and youth groups that come because otherwise they just kind of like run around and have a great time and that's fine but there's no outdoor educational aspect of it and mm. I thought I pitched it to them like it will bring new groups in and and it will increase the value of the site and they were just like cool that sounds great do it so, and here we are and here we are and then I just moved and started a year ago I suppose my first question is this is a it's a Jewish farm I think is how is how you described it to me in, in, in emails before and also how you uh, you know, how you describe it just generally in your on your website and so on. What does that mean? I suppose is my first question. What does it mean a Jewish farm as opposed to a farm that's focused on environmental considerations? It's everybody's question. Is it? Um, and it's a great question. And it's often a question I actually ask to the groups, like, what do you think makes this farm Jewish? But I'll answer it to you in a couple of ways. Number one, the Jewish religion is a very agricultural-based religion. A lot of our laws, um, actually, like, the vast majority of our laws are agricultural-based. We just can't do them anymore because we're not in, you know, in agricultural times. The religion was, Mm. you know, a long time ago. It was based on the land of Israel when back then when they were living there and to do with temple and to do with sacrifices and to do with fruits and lambs and everything was based around that and there are loads of lovely um laws in our traditions that we've lost like the idea of leaving corners of your field to people who don't have food we don't really have fields living in London and um even if you do have a field, it's not really practical to sort of leave corners of it mm-hmm. to for homeless people or whatever to come and find. It's just not. But that, it's very that's impractical. something that was sort of embedded in like in, the a, in the teaching, or just just a sort of cultural thing that's done. It, it's it's a law. You oh, have yeah. to. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's loads of laws like that about leaving fruits on your trees, leaving specific amounts. Um, we have laws. Um, governing actually leaving the land in general so we'd call it fallow leaving land fallow but actually Mm. it's a law that every seven years you can't do anything to your farm you have to leave it completely fallow we have laws um reverting ownership so you can own something for a certain amount of years only and then it goes back to its previous own loads of interesting laws Mm. um to do with the land actually harvesting it there's laws around grafting there's laws around sowing seeds loads and loads of agricultural laws um and loads of our festivals came out of all these laws a lot of our we have um lots of festivals in the Jewish tradition and a lot of them are to do with taking first fruits and showing your gratitude by giving away bits of your yield or um celebrating the rain or um praying for rain very important obviously in Mm. dry climate but also equally important in a climate like england um so i really wanted the farm as i've experienced elsewhere to allow people to engage with judaism in a kind of practical way. So not just necessarily being in your synagogue, I, I suppose this is the same for any religion, being in your church, whatever. That's one way to engage with your religion. But we have deep traditions of agriculture and how can we engage with our religion through those? Mm. So we often have discussions about what can we do here? Like we follow a law of, of all that, where you leave fruits on your trees for three years and then you... Um, eat them or give them to the priest or something in the fourth year we do that here 
or when we harvest do we harvest everything and no we leave some we give um some food a percentage of our food to our local food bank we make sure that when it's a festival time it's the new month a new moon or we think about the barley harvest the wheat harvest both of which have big jewish celebrations anyway but we tie it to the agriculture so we we try and let people experience Judaism in a, like a practical way um, and also to remind Jews, like especially the majority of Jews in England live in cities and um, they live city lives like mm. a lot of us and it's just to remind us that actually we are a land-based people and we have a duty of care for that land um, and it, second reason, really tries to inspire the Jewish community to really remember that um, the environment and the landscape and the actual land and the soil is very much part of who we are and we need to take care of it as we have been charged to do many times in our religious texts mm. and it's something that's forgotten because we don't live on the land. So, well, it it yeah. seems like um, most of the things that you sort of mentioned there, the kind of the, the laws, the practices, seems to be about showing respect. Absolutely. Is that that sort of... I suppose where that, if, if it's an agricultural people, historically, they would have had deep respect for the land. And I guess that's where that sort of starts. Completely deep respect and a deep understanding of not taking out every last, eking out every last bit of resource, because that's such a short term understanding of how, how our land and environment and climate works. They were planting because they knew that their great grandchildren needed to eat as well. So they didn't just, it, it's built into like the religion and it was done in a legal way. So you had to follow these laws, mm. but the laws themselves were about, some may argue, were about um, protecting and looking after the environment. Now, it is a very Jewish tradition and real big part of being Jewish to argue um, about every law and the meaning behind every law. So that's why I say some might argue, but I think, yeah, we've got a good argument. We have so many agricultural laws and it's definitely based on this idea of respect and looking after and caring for. And the Jewish community, we are a minority, but we do a lot of things. We are a socially conscious minority and I feel that the environment should be number one on our agenda. And um, I'm trying to get that through with my Jewish farm. So the people that come here, you, you talked um, sort of off mic before when we were when we were getting set up. You're talking about um, sort of primarily young young people, um, or you know, a lot of youth groups coming through this this space anyway. So I think that sort of maybe one key group that you that you engage with. If you've got a group a group coming through, where do you start with them? Is is there a particular? Does it sort of just entirely depend on the kind of what's going on on? the farm at the time and the season and sort of it, they just get involved in some way or are you are you starting to try and kind of teach them and show them particular things whoever they are whenever they come is there sort of other key things you're trying to show them yeah so um there are principles that our farm follows all year round for instance we are no dig but we we create no dig beds okay. um i've gone to meet Charles Dowding who's like the main guy doing that in this country and um learned from him I went on one of his days and we had a long chat about everything and since then I've really been interested in that way of growing vegetables and I also am really interested in the permaculture 
design aspect of things, which is a different way of growing. Mm. And that's a kind of all year round thing, learning about um, soil health and... Just for anyone who doesn't know, no, no, no dig growing. Is no that, dig growing. You sort of, it, it, it sounds like you would know what that means, but what, just to say Yeah, clear, I mean, it is, what, it, it is what it is, really. Um, we don't plough, we don't till, we don't dig. Um, sometimes we do dig. We're not, like, very militant about it. Mm. But generally, we build our beds by building, um, like, about 12 centimetres of compost um, beds. So sort of building up, up, up from yeah, the ground. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So we cover the ground with cardboard first and it mm-hmm. smothers the grass. And then we put about 12 centimetres of compost on top of that. Um, you can have, you, we use um, wooden planks as sides, but we actually don't, they're not permanent. We remove them. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a bit like a mound. Um, they're about a metre, a metre three wide um and that's how we build our beds and so that's something that we talk about all year round why do we do that we talk about soil health and we talk about worms and we have a look at worm casts and we have little kids and youth and so it depends and adults actually Mm -hmm. depends on the kind of level that we do but we might dig up some worms and hold them and all these kinds of things we think about soil health um and then permaculture which is yeah it's just another way of growing or living really that um, you you take into account your area. So you don't try and impose, you know, if you have alkaline soil, you don't try and, and put lots of acidic plants. You, you think about your grow, plot of land. What would grow there? What would grow there? Yeah. Instead of just raising the field to the ground, ploughing it and sowing wheat, we think about actually what's best for the soil, what's best for our site, is it rainy, is it sheltered? different areas on the land are frost pockets. We take into account all of that. Is that a traditional part of the of Jewish farming? Um, Not to, I imagine it's argued about. It's <laughs> argued about. Yeah. I would say that actually permaculture is at the centre of so much of Jewish tradition, mm. but it's a very new concept in terms of actually calling it permaculture it's a term, and it's, it's a new yeah. term. And it's a new kind of study like area of study for people but it's very ancient and not just in the Jewish tradition in lots of traditions that have cared lots of religions have cared for the earth over time and Mm. still do and I'm sure many principles are part of that observation is like a principle in any yeah any kind of organization that wants to look at the land Mm -hmm. Um, so then on top of those you've got the kind of the key principles the sort of no digging permaculture things like that, that that you would sort of explain to anyone coming and then is it about what's going on at the time and sort of teaching them yeah teaching them what's around you know the seasons and yeah so there's two things really I mean we there's seasonal work that changes throughout the seasons um and then there's the Jewish calendar which is a lunar calendar and has different events all the time actually and if it's not a Jewish group then I I will say like I will talk a little bit about why it's Jewish farm for them, as in we take key principles of Judaism, e.g. tikkun olam, which is like looking after the world, and we put that here and we tie that in with no dig. So mm-hmm. why is tikkun olam and no dig? Why is looking after the world interested in soil, science, whatever? And we talk about that. If it's a Jewish group, we'll probably link it to um, a Jewish festival close by. We might link it to um a reading that they might do they might know from or a story they might know about from the bible or so we try and 
make that seasonal as well, link it to like the Jewish seasonal calendars that were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, we've got a group next week, for instance, and they have a theme of kindness, which in Hebrew is chesed. And so the programs that we're going to run for them, we're going to tie into this like theme of chesed, of kindness um, to the planet, to each other, to community and how you can do that through food growing. One of the things that I saw, I think, on the website, I forget, it was one of your team, it was a comment one of your team made. I think it was whoever had volunteered here first. Um, Alexander, Alex, Alexander. Alexander. Um, but he said that um, something about this being the first first Jewish farm in the UK for a long time, which kind of I just sort of picked up on did there used to be lots? Is that is that something that sort of has just fallen away? So there was a short period of time um, at the creation of the State of Israel that um, there was kind of a mo- there was a positive movement around the creation of Israel in England. Mm. It's different now because obviously it's like politically difficult and whatever. But at that point, around nineteen forty eight, it was a positive time and people felt that they should go and kind of live there and dig the land. And it was a bit like the American dream. You know, you go over there, there's land, I'm going to make a farm and live this rural idyllic life, Mm -hmm. which is actually crazy because all these British Jews, I mean, they're used to cold weather, they're used to rain. The east end of London. The east end of London. I mean, not used to the heat and the sun. And at that point, a lot of Israel was swampland. There was... Um, still there was like malaria there wasn't hardly any buildings I mean they didn't have any like comforts mm. there weren't a lot of structures or cities so um, yeah they had these farms that were kind of training farms for m- moving to Israel and living on a kibbutz oh, so that you would yeah. be helpful when you got to the kibbutz that was the idea you knew about chickens about growing vegetables or I I don't know. I would love to speak to somebody who actually went on these training camps one day. I will find them. But um, was was this was um, Skeet Hill involved in that? In any no, way? no. At that point, the kids were coming up here from the east end of London, and they were they did do loads of farming. Though the kids, they yeah. I've got loads of pictures of them like digging up potatoes. There was an old goat shed here because they were all it was like dig for victory, and they all went their allotments so at that more point. In culture, kind of. The British, British culture, child yeah, culture, yeah. exactly. So there was that whole movement and they were coming mm. to do that here. But that's different to these like Jewish farms preparing these unsuspecting people for the kibbutzes in Israel, which just makes me laugh so much. But um, yeah, it was a very, it was a brief, brief period in history where Jews went back to the land for a little bit. Fascinating. Yeah. It's, um, it, it just kind of jumped out, you know, it was sort of, yeah. I wonder what that was about. Because we um, used to say, oh, we're the, we're the only Jewish farm or whatever in the yeah. UK. And these people who um, were like of that generation used to be, no, I remember <laughs> the farms here. So we've been careful Made to that put that clear. in. Yes, yeah, exactly. One of the, one of the things that you, that you do, like, and, you, and you have touched on it a bit already, you said one of the things is sort of engaging with people of, of other faiths. I suppose I was really wondering, how do you engage with non-Jewish groups? Is it, is it about sort of explaining some of the things that we've been talking about already and just sort of showing them what you're what you're doing? Is that... It's a good question. I mean, we haven't done a lot of it and it's something that actually we, we've started promoting to do, which is specifically about teaching 
about like what it means to do Jewish farming and not mm. just farming and kind of tying it more in with religious education sections in people's schools or classes or whatever um so yeah we want to we have started doing that we want to do a bit more of that also it's just interesting it's you know shedding a bit of a different view on Judaism hopefully for people mm-hmm. but um I guess more what I talk about when I talk about engaging with other religions on environmental things is the environment is political obviously it's land it's earth it's always going to be political but weeding carrots is not political and you can just put aside all of your differences and worries about random issues or whatever that you care about and just weed some carrots and everybody likes food and every religion or or just community has feasts of their own and has what might want to have a family dinner or dinner with friends food is important to people and so just just having a chat while you while you sow some broccoli or something mm. is such a good way to connect to people from other communities. And I just think it takes the tension away. And also, you know, this planet, there's only one of them and it's for everybody. Everybody has to live in it. So I think it's an issue that a lot of different religions care about. And so it's a really nice uniting issue for us to talk about and that's just really important to me whether it means we do it here or it means that we go to climate symposiums for that unite different religious groups that we do sometimes and Mm -hmm. just we can be a voice we can be on the stage of kind of different religions or different communities Mm -hmm. to stand up for the climate yeah the obviously these are sort of you know universal issues really and it's you were saying, you know, sort of engaging with different different religions and community groups. Does that sort of include? Or do you do you try or have you sort of engaged with kind of you know non non faith groups? Is are they harder to engage with if if you have tried that? I I, I don't yeah. know which communities you know who you would engage with exactly. That's that's probably the yeah. It's a great question. I think about that quite a lot because just of like my friends who mostly they're like not a religion Mm. and it's thinking about how but we discuss together for them how best to have community like what that means for them whatever so I don't I would really like to look into that more and currently it's more on just like a personal base Mm. so when we run events Sadeh runs events like we ran a festival or we run a farming week or a day out or something um they are open to everybody and even if they're a Jewish event, there's plenty of aspects that have nothing to do with Judaism that mm. everybody can engage with. And they can engage with the Jewish stuff if they want, but it's not very... We're not very... We're not in any way evangelical because that's it's not really part of our religion. It's yeah. just not who we are. So I just try and engage with... Indivi- it's much more of an individual rather than a community thing just because it's easier mm. to talk to individuals about it than communities, I suppose. Maybe it's me being lazy, I don't know. No, it's it's very hard. It's probably almost impossible to speak to a community. You're always speaking to an individual, you know, whether it's uh, somebody who genuinely represents a community or kind of speaks on behalf of a community, then maybe it's different. But it's it's very, you know, I think people, those people are pretty few and far between and sort of, particularly in maybe secular communities, I I don't know. It's kind of... Yeah, uh, I mean, we have plenty of Jewish atheists mm. who fight me all the time on everything. Um, it's really common but um, we just I don't know the thing is again when you're talking about community it, does, it just doesn't really matter 
about the religious thing or the religion thing. It's just about looking after everybody and including all, like, the odd people that other people might not want to include. It's about looking after them and looking out for them and looking out for people who um, don't have other people to look out for and including everybody and just... Yeah, we do try and be as inclusive as possible and we not don't talk about religion all the time or if it's not necessary or mm. for people who find it uncomfortable. You know. It's sort of focused on the, the farming and I suppose the what the what the uh, And the principles. The principles, you yeah, know, looking after the planet. Yeah. I love religion, personally, because I it's always I was brought up in a community where we looked after each other and I've seen a lot of positive sides to it that other people haven't had to experience or haven't engaged with and so that's why I want a Jewish farm I also for myself mm. I, I love the Jewish traditions I, lo- I love a bit of a ritual like I think it's fun and I think it it looks off and we look after people and you don't have to be judged to be for us to look after you to us to include you in the community but community is something that's so important to me and sometimes it's just easier to start with where you're from like the community that you're from and mm. I happen to be from the Jewish community. Sort of build out from there. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. You know, community is very important, very, very sort of uh, necessary, I think, particularly at the moment, it feels. And uh, whatever culture you're from, I think ritual is is very important. You know, sort of wherever those are, are sort of grounded, wherever they're based, you know, they, that's those are sort of quite deep things with people. The stories that you, your communities tell and, yeah. Yeah, I love um, all of that. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you a bit about your journey into all of this. And you, you were talking about, um, or you, you were talking about, you know, the, the trip that you did in 2014, which was to a place called Amada. Adama. Adama. Sorry. <laughs> Love Hebrew words. I was so busy trying to get the, the kind of emphasis <laughs> on the end of it. I got the wrong, <laughs> the wrong beginning. Good pronunciation. Thank you, Adama. Um, could you just sort of explain maybe what it what it is for just for a start because it's something that I've seen referenced a number of times. It, it, it seems like it's very important to the to Sadeh. Yeah, it's so important to Sadeh, and it's important to a lot of Jewish farms. There's a centre in Connecticut called the Isabella Friedman Centre, and they have a much bigger space than we have. And on it is a ten acre farm, and they run a farm program three times a year, which is called Adama, and. Um, it was separate organisations, but they are all under one organisation now called Hazon, which is a big and very big environmental Jewish charity based in America. And this was, this is such, it's kind of like, I always call it the mothership. It's where people go, they do Adama, they get inspired, they go off and they set up their own farms. So in America, there's loads of really cool Jewish farms, Jewish farming projects, Jewish environmental projects. Um, co-religious projects so many amazing projects there meat projects that they ha- are amazing as well and inspirational British Jewish meat production could learn from but um, I went there and I did Adama because I read a book by Michael Pollan called The Omnivore's Dilemma mm-hmm. he's actually Jewish turns out um, and I was just bored at work I used to work in a fashion technology company mm. um, and I was like a bit bored and it was really quiet time. I didn't really have any clients to look after. And I was like, wow, I know nothing about the supply chain of food. I don't even really know what a seed is, if I'm honest. So I ended up just going to Adama on a whim because I was so amazed at how little I knew about the food chain, mm. having read this book. 
and about me or about the environment. Honestly, I just, I know it sounds so silly, but I just hadn't really thought about it. My mind was on other things. So when you were reading the book, did you, um, was Adama something that you, you knew about? Is it just, is sort of famous in the community? So you, you knew it was there? Yeah, Or, or you started looking into it? I started reading. looking into it and right. my friend Vince, I'm I'm in a kind of a bit more alternative circle of Jewish people, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my friends had gone to this programme a few years before and had told me about it. Right, and it was roughly on my radar and I'd thought about it before with one of my friends, but I was like, this is ridiculous, I'm never going to do this. I was really not interested in farming or countryside or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I don't really know why I just decided to do it. But I just, literally, it was one day to the next. I was like, wow, I don't know anything. I'll go to this programme that I heard about, that I know nothing about, called Adama. It's Jewish farming. I had to do a Jewish one because I keep the the Sabbath. Um, Obviously, it would be really annoying if I was woofing on someone's farm and they needed me to do something on Saturday and I couldn't. I didn't want to be a hindrance. Mm. So Adama, I thought, would be suitable just for that reason. Mm. Um, And I got there... And I just, yeah, I applied and then I asked my job if I could have three months off and my boss just was like, yeah, okay. It all just fell it's into place, yeah. I know, nice boss. Um, and I just went off for three months. I got there, I was like, this is the worst idea. I already cried at the airport when I was... On the like, way. On the way, I was like five kilos overweight on my suitcase and I was taking all my things out, <laughs> like hysterically crying. And I was like, this is the worst idea of my life. It's a sign I shouldn't be doing it. I know, because I make really split decisions and mm. sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're really bad. It's just the way I am. Um, and... I don't know, I thought oh, I missed my boyfriend at the time and I just missed my family and this was awful. And I got there and they were literally like, two weeks before I got there, they said to me, oh, Tally, we've cancelled the programme. So can you please come to the summer programme? Because um, they, we wanted everyone to come in summer. There wasn't enough people for spring or some reason. I don't know. I wrote to them. I said, I've booked my flight and I've taken three months off work. I'll see you in two weeks. Thanks very much. <laughs> they were like, okay, um, you might be a bit lonely. I was like, okay. I got so you were there. expecting there to be no one? I was expecting there to be no one. Mm. I mean, they, somebody picked me up from the train station. That you have to take this long train to the end of into the Connecticut from New York. And um, this really nice lady picked me up and we went to... It's a big area, so they have like a few homes on the site. And she cooked me dinner and I met some other people, but it was a bit overwhelming. They dropped me off at my house, which was like in the middle of a forest, not near anyone, I felt. So remote. There wasn't a key. I couldn't lock the door. So just your place. And it was just me. Usually Mm. like 15 people were staying in this house in like bunks or whatever. And so I was just in this house and there were supposed to be two other people there, but they'd like gone off on holiday or something. No one was there. I couldn't lock the door. The fire came on in the middle of the night because it was on the thermostat, which I didn't realise was a possibility. And all I thought was, I've watched so many Midsummer Murders, I know that this is the site of my This is how death. they begin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is the beginning of the doom. There's someone in the bushes. They come out of the bushes. I say, oh, it's you. And that's the end of me. So you're going to go and investigate a noise and then... I was, honestly, terrifying. It's terrifying. Mm. And I was like, I can't stay here. Anyway, I just sort of finally went to sleep. And for two weeks, every night, I went home to this empty house. I was, I didn't enjoy it. In the day, it was freezing cold. There was still snow on the ground. 
I literally, I'm so, it's so embarrassing. I arrived with my hair, I had a blow dry. Like my hair was all <laughs> blow dried. And I just didn't have anything appropriate to wear. And it was just... Fresh from your fashion. Honestly, I thought, this, <laughs> just, this is awful. This was such a bad mistake. Yeah. But there was loads of clothes that people had left over time. And I got better at it. And after two weeks, I'd been working with those apprentices that were living there that were doing the whole season. And they knew loads. And the farmer. And there was a big retreat centre there. So groups did come, but it was a bit removed from me. I was busy on the farm. And after a couple of weeks, I don't know what happened. I had like some sort of epiphany where these apprentices and the farm people were such amazing people. They were Jewish farmers. That's what they called themselves. Inspirational. They lived a completely different way to me. They cared so much. And they, they, were, they were kind of hippies, but like hippies that just worked really hard all the time. Mm. Um, and it just inspired me and I was like this is so amazing and I was feeling really distant from I know I was keeping the Sabbath but I've always I was brought up in a religious household so it's just part of I was feeling so distant from Judaism and it's not even like we did anything Jewish we were in the farm we didn't we did on the Adama program we're supposed to do a morning service every morning at 6am but it was only me so we did it a few times but Mm. apart from that we didn't do that much Jewish stuff but the whole atmosphere was so invigorating and amazing and inspiring. And I just just changed me. I know that sounds so silly. It's like, oh, I went to India and I had a moment. Mm. But it was like that. And it was like that so much that when I got home after two months, my priorities had just changed. I quit my job after two weeks. I joined an apprentice scheme with Hackney Salads, growing communities Mm -hmm. to learn to grow salads. I became a gardener's apprentice. I just did loads of garden work bluffed my way through working in people's gardens <laughs> had no idea what I was doing and I just knew I was like I need to set up a Jewish farm here because it's inspirational and it will change people and I learned about being vegan and or animal welfare and environment I know these are things that sound so normal and simple now and now I see people you, you know the young generation I'm not that old but there's the young generation they're so much more awake to these kind of issues than I ever was And I just feel like it's programs like this that really change people and show people that actually the planet is really important and it's not that hard to just grow lovely, delicious food and eat it and Mm. be kind to the planet and eat well and look after each other. And yeah, I don't know, it was just inspirational. (laughs) I can can see it in in sort of the way that you talk when you're talking about it. And it's... um... Where, where was all of this in relation to when you came down here and saw this place and were like, this is where it needs, this is where it'll happen? And Yeah, so it wasn't long after that that my friend wanted to set up her kind of community organisation called Community of Opportunity yeah. and approached me to run a retreat with her. And that's when we came down and I knew it was the perfect site, but I wasn't ready. I spoke to the manager even then. I said, this is the perfect site, um, but I need to learn how to grow vegetables. <laughs> And I need to get a team yeah. and I need to get some funding. I need to start. And it took me a few years, it took me three years. Right. And I got a group of people who were really keen and passionate because t- there's such a need for it in the Jewish community, especially I'm sure in every community, um, for people to get outside and get digging and just be outside, honestly. And um, I found some great people. We sent some more people to Adama to mm-hmm. learn about it there. Um, I found a site. I, we did a crowdfunding to start the whole kind of community centre mm-hmm. here. And um, 
then we started in January. It took, yeah, it took me a few years, but it was my goal when I came back. I was like, I need to set up a Jewish farm. Also, I just, I knew I wanted to do that, but I didn't actually think that I was potentially going to do that. Do you know what I mean? It, it was a great dream, but I thought, this is impossible. How will I find a site? Where will I live? How will I earn money? How, mm. Will I need to buy something? I don't know. There seemed to be a lot of practical issues in my way, but they all kind of fell, fell away. It's kind of the way with a, with a sort of a dream, isn't it? You know, when you kind of have an idea like that, the problems do seem very obvious very quickly. You sort of, I think a lot of, a lot of um, potentially good ideas sort of stop there for that reason. Yeah, luckily I you never like... momentum from, from Adam Asi. I think yeah. seeing, having something clear enough to sort of see what, what it could be yeah. right, and whatever it is you're doing. Like having, having the picture, that's... I think it'll help you get past a lot of those things in lots of lots of situations, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So. And also, I intend to ignore all of that. I'm like, I'll just do the thing that I need to do today or the next month, and then it will it will work out. Things will get done. And somehow it does. Mm. Sometimes I'm like, this has just been... I'm so lucky. I always think about how lucky I am that things fell into place. Um, but I also just sort of carried on as if it would. I just carried on as if it would all work out, and then it did. Because <laughs> I kind of thought, why not? Well, again, I think that that's kind of, I think it's quite often the mindset you need. You know, that's how is it different? So Adama is, you know, is sort of a, a like a guiding star of a sort. You know, it's kind of it's a template, perhaps, of sort of at least how you got started and what it could be. You know, the scale and everything else, but the. Are there differences? Like, have you found it different kind of bringing it back and um, sort of setting this up in the UK Jewish tradition? Is that a different thing to the to the American? Yeah. I think it must be in some ways, but I mean, what, what have you found? <clears throat> I mean, America's a lot more there. The Jewish life there is a lot more developed. And um, so I hate to say it's moved with the times a little bit more, but it has. There's a lot more of them. There's so many Jews in America. So the kind of like more left-wing, alternative Jewish kind of they thing. A, there's a bigger voice. There's a bigger yeah. voice. And it's mm. been around for a while. When I started Sadat a year ago, people were like, what? Like Jewish farming, Jews in the environment, those things don't mix, blah, blah, blah. But in America, the voice is a lot more developed. There are also way more Jews. Um, there's also way more money for Jewish projects. Um, so it is different. The, the scale is different. They have a massive site in a kind of forest behind them. It's just magical. We just can't have that near London. I think I saw a picture of people <laughs> sat on a kind of rocky rocky yeah. outcrop thing looking over the viewpoint. A, an amazing... Yeah, it did look amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And they have loads of... And it's two hours from New York, so it's just not far for people mm. to get that wild and that like beautiful area and we just yeah and anyway I couldn't afford a massive site like that like it that's been in the community for a long time and the scale of it is different and where we are I need to convince Jews a little bit more than I think they do mm-hmm. um my brother always tells me this is not Adama because I'm always comparing them and it's it's a mistake because they are, of course, they're different. And we're different. I'm so different to them. When I first got there, they were like, 
let's check in and see how we feel and talk about every emotion we've ever had mm. and say our gratitude. And I was like, I hate you all. <laughs> Don't make me talk about that. <laughs> I suppose there's a, there's quite a strong sort of, um, just sort of, you know, aside from the Jewish community, that's quite a kind of American and British difference, isn't it? It's sort Absolutely. Of, uh, yeah, that stuff doesn't come naturally, I think, to a lot of... There's a sort of reservation, you know, it is, it is a bit cliche, but I think I think there's some truth in it, you know. we So true. When I got <laughs> that, I was like, how is this cliche the truest thing? I, I was just shocked at how... And they would just ask me, like, you know, let's discuss, our, like, three most magical things about the Sabbath. And I was like, well, I'd like to reserve my right to not discuss that. <laughs> Yeah. Time of business. Mm. Over time, they totally melted me down a bit. Mm. But I'm still not on the level that they are. But I try and do that a lot more here for people because it's good for people. It pushes them out of their comfort zone and mm. makes them talk about things they wouldn't talk about. It's good for people. It is. And maybe the way that you kind of ended up at Adam, I would like, I mean, I imagine if you'd gone in there being sort of 15 people and the other 14 were sort of fully on board with the sort of you know that with that kind of yeah crunchy juice we call them we call them what is it crunchy crunchy like granola wow I eat a lot of granola <laughs> I've never heard that <laughs> I think it might be an American thing okay but yeah you know if it was that sort of um that sort of you know mentality the sort of kind of uh like oversharing you know just that sort of high energy American way for for everybody that might have been too much too much you might have maybe said I wouldn't wouldn't be here yeah I think about that and when people go and they have a different very 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 different experience to me because they're with a group and the whole point mm. is the group my group was the people that worked on the farm yeah so like I got to be with the farm apprentices and if you go on Adama like the number one thing you want to do is be friends with the people that work on the farm because they're so cool and amazing mm. it's like having being in a youth group and like the leaders are like amazing it's like that and I didn't know that I didn't realize my privilege that I got to spend so much time, time with the farm managers yeah. and the farm apprentices and they taught me so much and I got loads for loan time I learned I learned to be by myself which I didn't know about before you know, I was just like alone sometimes for a few hours. And I was like, actually, this is good. It's all right. It's yeah. not that bad. I can be alone with my thoughts without wanting to stab my eye out for mm. like more than five minutes. Are there parts of the program? I mean, so there are differences with how you sort of deliver it here and, and you know, what it what it looks like. But are there parts of the program? So I think that I think they call them CSAs on the yeah. program programs, the community supported, supported agriculture. agriculture. So it's essentially kind of like direct um, engagement with the community, so they can buy the produce that you're making. I, I, yeah. As I understood it, I mean, is is that are there things like that? Other aspects of Adamo that you want to kind of bring here? Yeah, there are. I mean, CSA is really cool. I think it has started a little bit in England. The reason why mm. it's really cool is you and the farmer are a bit more linked because instead of a veg box like Abel and Cole, which is also great, but you buy from local farmers, with the CSA, you sort of pay up front for who knows what. So if the farmer has a great year, you get more. If the farmer has a really bad year, you get less. You get a kind of share in... Um, the produce a bit more you're, you're you're supporting the farmer as it were mm. through bad times and good times that's why csa is really cool um would we do it here we don't have enough land to 
produce enough food to sell on the kind of level that they sell it at. I would love to produce a lot more food. I think we've got space for about five times the amount that we do now, at least. Um, And we are going to open a cafe and Mm. sell some of it there. We give some of it to the food bank. We will sell to like the people that come. But we are primarily an educational farm. And I encourage the kids to pick, to take things home, Mm -hmm. to use make a salad from the stuff they primarily I want people to engage with the vegetables rather than selling it Mm -hmm. so um we do once we have too much of course we'll sell it we'll never be big enough for a CSA but um yeah I want like a volunteer to come and just like take home a bag of carrots if they can and understand a bit about yeah Jewish farming and understand a bit about Jewish farming and also even if they just taste a carrot from the ground and they're like this is a better carrot than the carrot that I buy from the shop that's such a win for me mm. that they've understood that those two things are different. That like organic, deliciously grown carrots are different to mm. carrots preserved for like months on end in a carbon dioxide environment. Mm. <laughs> one one of the things you uh, you sort of mentioned you mentioned um, veganism as you know that 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 you are you're vegan now. I was wondering whether that that's something that's kind of tied up with with this whole experience or whether that's whether that's sort of separate from it is that something that you kind of came to through the farming yeah I came to it because of Michael Pollan mm. he like goes through a the life of a I think it's a deer um something like that and where it ends up and I just honestly it blew my mind I was like how I never thought about non-free range meat at Adama, you collect eggs, you milk goats. There's a chicken, shahita, which is a chicken killing three times a year, where they then you part a part of that and then and you eat it and whatever. Um, but I was actually vegan most of the time I was there because that's I only just heard about veganism mm-hmm. or vegetarianism. I went from meat eating to being vegan, and there were amazing people who live there who are vegan who helped me through that who just discussed it with me and I was like this is the right way then I got back from Ajaman and I was like this is outrageous there's no way I can be vegan honestly yeah. I feel like I kind of like came out to my parents that I was vegan one day it took me so long to tell them because were they okay they were okay with it <laughs> they've, they've totally come around right. over time it's just so annoying like for them like we have a lot of big family dinners and it's a lot of chicken and it's just mm. unfair in some ways, but my mum's really like listened to it, and and my dad even said the other day, "Oh, we're having a vegetarian dinner," and I was like, "Yeah, go you go guys." Um, so they're definitely getting on it. Look, it informs a lot of what I do because it's part of who I am. Is the farm gonna be vegan? Probably not. If I'm honest, I do really want to have chickens. I really want to have goats because that's mm. what. And also interacting with animals, I I hope makes people feel more caring for animals I think it's probably good educational wise for them Mm. um there's just so much argument in the Jewish community about veganism and vegetarianism and whether you need to be meat on the sabbath and then there's a whole organization called the Jewish Vegetarian Society that would be just like outraged if we had chickens and then we we slaughtered some of them and ate some of them it's it's a difficult one it just informs so much of my personal life Mm. Um, and I've become so much more into it as time has gone on. 
and so much more aware of the issues around it. And I don't want to harp on about veganism, but I do love it. Mm. <laughs> and I am a fan. And I am on my Instagram, like, posting pictures all the time, why people should be vegan. But, you know, I think a lot about the planet and the environment and animals. It's, it does tie in very well. It does. And I, I kind of, I suppose I'm interested to see how you would engage with people who sort of weren't, vegans it's a sort of maybe like a similar or parallel kind of question to how you engage with people who aren't you know who are different faith groups or not or non-faith groups you know mm. sort of particularly I suppose with veganism if you want to kind of encourage people in you know toward a vegan life you know how do you how do you do that is it sort of by example or do you do is it sort of soft you know I suppose you don't want to be kind of like Militant. preaching and militant <laughs> yeah. but or but if you really believe these that the it's the the right way to do things then it must be frustrating you know it must be it must be very sort of tempting to go a kind of militant route if you think well you know what you're doing is wrong but then maybe that's not the most effective, effective way to do it you know you need to take people with you i suppose yeah yeah it's so true and it's not you know, with the environment, it's so it's such an easy sell. Everybody, most most people that you meet are like, yeah, we should care about the environment more. Mm. With Judaism, I don't preach it. It's just something I do personally. It's a personal slash Jewish communal thing. So I don't need to, I only answer questions about it. Or um, So veganism is really different because mm. I care so much about it and other people's actions affect animals so it is it is hard for me and I do want to not be militant and I do not and I do want to not be peachy and the way I try and do it is I try and just be vegan myself and as I'm going to be taking over the kitchen here I can't I can't make the kitchen vegan but I can make substitutions for things that I know would be easy to substitute for I can make better decisions if people want to have eggs we can get better sourced eggs mm. or we can get better sourced milk but um just trying to there's so many things that you can make that people wouldn't even know a vegan like if you just make a vegetarian shepherd's pie that doesn't have meat or dairy or eggs in it anyway so just trying to be a bit clever and not put it everywhere that it's vegan but just trying to be like this is healthy this is vegetables this is delicious focus it on that kind of thing a sort of positive message positive rather thing, than yeah. a not of, even talk yeah. talk about the fact that it's vegan or if it's not just mm make it that way um people are very attached to their friday night dinner piece of chicken so things like that will take longer to get people used to, to not having but if all the other meals were like it's just things that i'm gonna try and do subtly mm. and then on my instagram i'm a massively militant vegan <laughs> because yeah, i feel like i get it out, out. Yeah, and people can choose to follow it or not to follow it and they yeah, don't have true. to hear about it and it's a lot less kind of I think it's a lot less in your face than if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm like but have you thought about all these things and that you know <laughs> that people don't want to hear and it's horrifying but it's a bit like if you can't look at it then why are you eating it if you can't deal with the with the situation you know it's it just feels a bit hypocritical to me personally if somebody's so upset mm. about the actual facts of what happens and then just goes and buys the product I don't know I, I can't do it. It got to a point you did. Yeah, yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't. And the more I... And I used to miss it, and I, I don't miss it. It horrifies me now. <laughs> no, I, can, I can believe it. I've, I've heard it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, for the record, but I've kind of... I've heard it from, you know... I've talked to a lot of people through this and sort of around around the podcast who 
who are to sort of one degree or another and it's um the arguments are quite compelling you know when you start They're getting into it there's yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely uh something sort of to, to think about i think seriously and I, I guess this is some way that you can kind of that people can do that you can yeah. actually kind of look at what that means and, and because i'm vegan people ask me about it all the time here mm-hmm. and we talk about it while we're sewing and whatever and mm-hmm. i just always say to people like you just do what you can do it's really hard to just eat meat and then not eat anything from then one day to the next of course if you're thinking about going down that path then it's best to do it within your own capabilities you have to be crazy mm-hmm. about it and i'm lucky i didn't really not a massive meat eater anyway and I was never really big into cheese so it's much easier for me than say someone who loves cheese so much Mm. you know everyone has to take these things at their own pace and level and you know you do what you can but it's just it's people that just don't even want to hear it or think about it that upset me because they only don't want to hear or think about it because it's so horrible but a lot of people do engage with you and do think about it and make Mm. you know some decisions I don't know I'm gonna harp on about it (laughs) I tend to just ask some sort of more general questions at the end. So just just kind of um, pull back slightly and ask ask some sort of slightly broader things. And um, I thought one I'd like to ask you is, um, is sort of really whether you have a food hero. So if you think you kind of like in the context, you can kind of define that however you want. I, I don't know if that's the right term, but, you know, if you're thinking about the food industry, you know, whether it's kind of like farming or you know, restaurants, or I, I don't know, whatever that means to you, you know, is, if if I say success, or, you know, does that bring to mind a particular person? Um, I want to say two people, I don't know how exactly foodie it is, but I just think they're so great, is obviously one of them would have to be Michael Pollan, and mm. his books, um, he's, it's called The Omnivore's Dilemma, because it's, he eats everything, mm-hmm. so, um, he just wants to look into it and I just think that's a wonderful way to live where it's just like I want to do this all but I'm just going to look into it and make sure well, sort the of things the I do is of good. What you were just saying you know people kind of refusing to yeah. to engage because they're sort of scared of what what exactly. they find. Exactly yeah. and so I, I just think like food journalists sometimes are just so great you know I really who just people who 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 care about things and then look into it and then try and let that you know change their lives a bit but they don't have to be crazy about it and Michael Pollan he's so great honestly mm. his book is a bit dense but it's a great book and in defense of food there's loads of them mm. and the other person is um Lady Eve Balfour who it's because of her that we have the soil association um and she was a farmer when women weren't farmers and mm. she really understood the concept she she's kind of like the mother of organic really or the organic certification or understand you know i guess everybody used to be organic but understanding that there's a difference between organic and non-organic she did trials quite kind of trials not completely scientific trials but trials in her own farmland and she was so dedicated to understanding how food grows best and that um the idea of the idea of community the idea that community is something that you give to and something that you take from. And once you really understand that, soil and food and animals and all of that becomes part of your community because it's giving to you all the time. Soil is giving to you all the time through food. And what are you giving to it to make sure that it's happy, healthy and continuing to give to you? And that concept of community, including the food that's grown, is is really just influenced a lot of the way I think about things and a lot of how I do things. And 
she's just really inspirational woman. So she's not a restaurateur, but... I, no, I, I think that's a fantastic answer. <laughs> that's really, that's really great. I think we'll, we'll sort of draw it, draw it a bit to a close. I just wondered if there's, would you like people to, if people are interested in what you're, you know, what we've talked about, where should they go and look? Is it, you're talking about Instagram and, and so on, but... Our subject Where? Instagram is just flowers and plants, okay, don't worry. Right. No, no militants. <laughs> yeah. There. Have a look at that. Okay. We are on everything um, because Alexander is really good at social media. So he's okay. good at everything. Is it just as Sade? Sade. So yeah, just, on everything. Just... Or Sade Farm. Um, we're the only Sade Farm around. So we'll be there on your. That's we've got great SEO. Yeah. So we'll be at the top of your Google search results. But um, yeah, we have loads. We do events that are more Jewishy events, way less Jewishy events. Um, Do they tend to be here on the farm? On so, the farm, so, yeah. So if people were sort of, you know, interested in actually kind of getting involved, they could look on the website and find yeah. find out how to yeah. and we have come down of, here and see exactly. what we're doing. Exactly, and it has like some ways to get here. You just take the train from London Bridge or Charing Cross, pretty easy. Um, and we have loads of volunteering. We've just um, joined up the Wif- to the Whiffing Network. Mm-hmm. So we'll have like long-term volunteers farm volunteers here and you're always welcome just message me i'm always here (laughs) (laughs) always i'm always here brilliant all right well i'll put all the i'll put the links um in the in the episode sort of notes as well so people can just click on that if they're you know they're listening to it on their phone or whatever you should be able to go straight to it from from here um thank you talia it's been really it's been really interesting and i hope uh, I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed, oh, I've enjoyed loved having it. a chat. Thank Love you. waffling on about the farm, honestly. <laughs> well, no, it's brilliant. And thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, I hope, thank you for listening, people listening, and uh, see you in the next episode. Thank you, Talia. Thank you.